welcome to the Props Public Safety Podcast, where experienced firefighters discuss drone operations in public safety. Take flight, save lives, save service members. What's up, Mikey Mike? Yeah, buddy. What's going on? Not much. Same stuff, different day. Different um, night. Different night. Different night. Absolutely. It's a late one. It is. Right? We're doing, we're doing, what is it? We're doing 11, 11 o'clock podcasts. 11 o'clock podcasting. All right. All right. Yeah. Well, hey. Things got to be done. Yeah. Podcasting nope. never rests. No, absolutely not. So, what do we got? You tell me. This, this, uh, this, you know how this works, right? We've been doing it long enough. You throw out the idea, you blindside me, and then I try and roll with it. That's true. Um, <laughs> well, let's discuss our life safety operation at the Rockaway Beach this summer. Um, that seems okay. to be, it was definitely something that uh, took a lot of resources to accomplish, many different agencies. And we can pretty much, you know, discuss our role and how it's, really you know different from what we were used to on a daily basis with our own challenges and the challenges yeah. we faced and we'll go from there this way um i mean there is a lot of coastline on you John, know, i have a cricket in the house do you there's only way you can get a cricket you have to get a frog you get the frog then you're gonna need to get a, a i fox. don't know if you're gonna pick it up on the audio i don't mean to like you know be all like you know add and everything on uh, that's my job, Mike. You're taking my role. There's a cricket, and it's driving me crazy. And you might pick it up on the audio, but yeah, it's going to be a rough night. It's going to be me uh, running around with like fly swatters and baseball bats throughout the house trying to kill this damn thing. Anyway, all right, it's gone now. It stopped. <laughs> yeah. You didn't stop. He's just waiting for the opportune time. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Wait, wait for me to close my eyes. Absolutely. And then it's going to. All right, let's get back on track, man. Okay. You're always going back. off the rails. You're always going right. off the rails. So, uh, hold on. I hear a cricket. <laughs> um, so, so, yes, the beach. Our Rockaway Life Safety Program. Uh, for those of you that don't know, Rockaway Beach is a beach in New York City. And it's approximately, what, six miles, Mike? Mm-hmm. And yeah, Well, the area that we were occupying was about six miles, yeah. But the Rockaways, I don't, I don't know. It's... Rockaway is a weird man. I don't even know where it starts and where it stops, but I know it's a long stretch of beach, man. <laughs> yeah, so what we were tasked with was um, to aid and help uh, coach along, I guess would be, and to train up because I wouldn't even call it formal training because it really wasn't. It was kind of bring them, you know, an idea of a workflow, the New York City Parks Department in utilizing drone technology to protect swimmers and or, you know, detect sharks was one of the main reasons that they wanted yeah. to be able to utilize this. But more so for life safety overwatch, people caught in the rip currents, et cetera, et cetera, being able to monitor a situation and then be able to localize the situation. So if a lifeguard got on the radio and said, you know, we have reportings of a shark or a shark sighting, their normal SOP was to evacuate and shut down the entire beach. Yeah. Um, being able to get eyes on, you know, the location of they said sharks or whatever. And that came probably because of the fear after that lady was uh well was, I mean no uh, we were we were there prior to that. It was it was really a knee-jerk reaction to all of the shark sightings in Long Island. Yes. And, and I guess the uh the city and state you know decided that 
having a little bit more of a presence there would uh would just be uh, a good thing all around yeah so originally that's what we were there for was to test proof of concept um after that incident it went more to a life safety kind of perspective where they want we knew that from the beginning though yes from the first day we were there yeah we knew that where our, our primary function was going to shift to yeah it was definitely life safety overall yeah, absolutely um, yeah 100 percent. and that's just you know the nature of what we do um yeah. you know it's just we can sit there and fly the ocean and you know what we're gonna see marine life you know we've seen dolphins mm-hmm. we've seen whales we've seen sea turtles yeah. rays and guess what that's where sharks live too you know you know yeah. who else you know who else saw a, a bunch of uh dolphin that they thought were uh sharks oh. one too many people uh having uh, a few white claws oh yeah well that, there's no <laughs> shortage of those in the rockaways so they throw a couple of white claws on the beach and uh and everybody's gonna look at a dolphin and say it's a great white yeah so. <laughs> but overall it was um it was a task that was you know it was easy to accomplish but it took an immense amount of resources from our really did i'm actually impressed at how logistically it worked out for us and uh and now we were able to do it and still maintain a 24 7 response unit so absolutely and um I but mean, we had take we had a lot of good takeaways from it too yeah i mean we developed and refined our beach operations you know yeah. for the unit for the most part of where we should be taking off from things we should be considering paths into the water paths re- returning over the water you know because obviously flying over the beach means that you do have to transfer some people at some point and how to pick which spots would be better less densely populated or if you had to really make a commitment to go over you know a crowd or something for you know said life hazard or a life yeah. safety event had to do it in a way where it would you know you know push it push push over towards a jetty to kind of yeah. yeah and then flying you know straight out and over not sitting there yeah. dilly-dallying over the beach yeah. and one of the main issues that um kind of we were I know I was pretty much blindsided was the low flying aircraft over there. Absolutely. Um, the banner planes. Yes. Banner planes, even surprisingly kites. I never knew so many people flew kites on the beach. And uh, but the banner planes were flying at, at 200 feet. Yeah. Right. A couple of them were coming in at 200. And uh, yeah. the banner was even lower in some cases. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, there was uh, I know of at least one instance where I was 50 feet off the water from my takeoff point, which was 10 feet higher than the water. So, I mean, I was, you know, probably 60 feet above the water, but I had to drop down that low just to avoid one of these planes. And the reason they're flying so low is because that's um, the approach to the runway at JFK. And if the, the wind is blowing the right direction, that's the path that they follow in. They come literally over that beach to land. So you have commercial air traffic you know, at a thousand feet and they're coming in under the shelf at like four under 400 in some cases, well below that. And then helicopters would just appear out of thin air like UFOs. Um, <laughs> like, it, like I'd be sitting there flying and like, I, you know, I just looked around, I look at my screen, I glance for a second, I look up and like next thing you know, like there's a helicopter there and I'm like, how, how did that even happen? You know? Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, no, there were definitely some decent takeaways and we really refined some of our tactics for, uh, you know, for flight, even with how to operate in those wind conditions and everything else that you don't normally see when you're pushed inland a little bit more. 
Yeah, and yeah. also the storms, the way they move, uh, the way yeah. they affect those wind currents, pushing out over the beach and then hitting the water, which you have the temperature difference yeah. uh, where, you know, the aircraft may drop, it may rise. But, you know, you can definitely notice the change from hanging out with the aircraft over the beach and then, you know, pushing out over to the water, you definitely see some movement of the aircraft. And then, like we said, this beach was six miles, so we needed to do it and be mobile. Um, yeah. But we also tested out ways to push mobile data via cell phone and or Starlink and refined our systems that we were using with both those platforms as well, where, you know, we were able to get the information that we were presenting out to the people that needed to see it and yeah. to our uh, our supervisors as well and other supervisors and people that were, you know, higher ups that were curious how the whole operation was going as a whole. Yeah, even our day-to-day flights, you know, depending on the time of day, and, you know, with the position of the sun in the sky, how we would fly to kind of eliminate the glare off the water, whether we were flying backwards at times sideways, know, yeah. or sideways to kind of just get to an area or a position with the camera, you know, at like 30 degrees or so, 35 degrees down. Yeah. Uh, and the the polarizing filter, which made the world of a difference yeah, for, yeah. for a Mavic Zoom. We were using a Mavic 2 Zoom Enterprise, or we call it the Zoom because it's there's no other payload on it. It was the zoom camera. And um, that with the uh, circular polarized filter, I mean, yeah. really cut down the, the sun's reflection off the water quite a bit. So you were able to see down further into the water. Yeah. Um, and just, you know, using an older tool, which was almost kind of like it was purposely built for what we needed it for. The only difference is for life safety, that probably wasn't the best tool in the toolbox. So we ended up switching between the Mavic 2 Enterprise and the M30. Yeah. Um, the M30's ability to carry a payload if you have the right attachments, the thermal sensor, the laser rangefinder, and if you point it straight down over the water and hover into a spot and shoot the laser straight down, you actually could mark a set area with GPS coordinates. Yeah. Which, I mean, and, and you, could, you could do that with the Mavic Zoom by pointing the camera down and just pulling the metadata, but... Um, at least that mark appeared on the map when we were using um, drone sense. And we were also operating interagency as well. So yeah. we weren't the only agency that was operating there. New York City uh, Office of Emergency Management had a team there, mm-hmm. as well as New York City Police Department. Yeah. So being able to information share and push the data that we were getting, the data we were collecting and the data they were collecting almost seamlessly across three different agencies is not something that is very easy to do if you're on multiple different systems and everything else. And we have managed to, you know, create a way. I don't want to say we, everybody there. Yeah, shocking that that everybody actually, you know, played nice in the sandbox. And and uh, we have a good rapport anyway with OEM and Taru and, and now Parks, you know. Yes, absolutely. Shout out Liz. She was a champ on the sticks. Yes, yeah. Um, I mean, the parks department, the personnel that they had there, I mean, Liz especially was, you know, she took a liking to it right away uh, and was able to, you know, really see the power in it and utilize that as a way to say, hey, I could do this, I could do that. And now they're in the process of hopefully building their own program and she'll be the administrator for that program. She annoyed me, John. Right. Why? Because I tried to trip her up when we were training to try and like, you know, frazzle her a little bit. And she she's like handled it like a like a champ. It annoyed me. Yeah. Ever. I'll get her next year. Yeah, that's all. You know, just 
half seat her battery. But I mean, definitely um, a lot of things, even the placement of our drone and how we deploy our drones looking into next year. You know, how can we create a case where like that M30 is opened, batteries are seated, it's ready to be deployed, but still in a case that's enclosed out of the elements, out of the issue with sand and everything else getting in, you know, blowing around. But we can kind of just cut down on that on that deployment time for a drone, especially uh, when it's a life saving mission. So. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the M30, I mean, it sets up so fast, but so does the Mavic as well. But you also got to remember there's six miles of beach. So, I mean, a rapid deployment, you got to kind of be in the right place at the right time with the equipment ready to go to even just to consider that. The other option would be to have an equipped piece of equipment standing by. Now you would have a team of two independent operators, one to take off the said piece of equipment and fly it halfway to the area. So let's say you would take this this operator and you'd position them midway on the beach, three miles left, three miles right. And then you would have your second pilot or your second operator go to the scene. Then once the drone reaches that halfway mark between the primary operator, they could transfer controls of the M30 to the secondary operator, and the secondary operator would be able to fly it in, deploy it, do what they need to do, and then return it home with, you know, set amount of battery life. At a certain- well, you're also not fighting wind conditions, uh, you know, both ways and gives you a, a, you know, a longer duration of flight because now you can be focused on that area and know that the other pilot can take over control and, and it doesn't have to go back to a home point. Yeah, absolutely. And they could actually take control of it at that point and then just keep it for the duration and then, you know, cycle batteries as needed and so on and so forth. And then once the event is over, they could either, you know, pack it up and bring it back to that, you know, via land or they could pretty much fly it over. But obviously you need communication between your team and these were kind of, you know, got to be played out at least before the operation were to begin, just to make sure that, you know, everybody's on the same page in the case of an event, this is what we're going to do and at least attempt to make that happen because obviously, you know, things arise, uh, situations happen. You might have banner planes moving in, in the middle and you might have to hold off that flight or, or so on and so forth. So it's definitely something that's got to be talked about, addressed and proof of concept, you know, definitely developed before moving forward with an operation such as that. I know. I um, have one I, on standby. I think out of out of everything we did, the biggest takeaway from being on that beach was just realizing the amount of air traffic. Yeah, that's there, and trying to mitigate those risks to have a safe flight. But you know, we're so concerned with people on the ground, and you look at the beach, and you're like, ah, I'm, at least I'm not flying in the city where it could be, uh, you know, news helicopters coming in, and we're surrounded by buildings and everything else uh, it, it was insane the amount of air traffic that was that was in that small stretch of, of six miles and how it how it was confined to this like narrow corridor that just stretched right at the beach line yes yeah 100 percent. my main takeaway from that was uh also addressing pilot fatigue being out in the sun for you know those durations water food and then just the sun just beating on you the, the sun there was nowhere to go where you could go seek shelter or be in the shade and just you know keeping the sun off the back of your neck and 
all the stuff that we normally take for granted. Through the top of your head. Yeah, through through my hat holes, the holes in my hat. Like, you know, I wind up with like the lines on it. Like, yeah. yeah. I mean, it was one of our pilots who actually wound up with like really bad sunglasses marks where he kind of looks like a raccoon to this day. Uh, yeah. yeah. But um definitely I, it was a success. It was a major success. Yeah. And I'm not used to going to a beach without a red umbrella and a styrofoam cooler. So it was a complete shock to me. Yeah. But what I also did take away from this, and one of the things is, since you have this low-flying aircraft, you have them coming in out of nowhere. I mean, with little to no warning in some cases, it really showed how far away we are from autonomy as such as like a dfr program the drone first responder program Listen, the operator would only have eyes on the front of the drone when you really needed something 360 degrees a lot of this of these planes weren't on adsb and there was you know a couple of times where helicopters went by and we had no clue where they were going who they were or whatever but they didn't pop up on any flight radar and if you know you were operating i mean there was times where I mean, it was never so close where it was like, oh, we, wow, we were in, you know, a tough, a tough spot. But I mean, with some of these banner planes, it it could easily be a bad day because we were literally flying at the altitude that they were cruising at. If you're having a camera pointed down at the ground, um, not down at the ground, but down into the water looking for life safety hazards or, you know, problems and stuff with swimmers, you're definitely focused on the air. And it also stretched the importance of a dedicated visual observer. Yeah. The pilot was just affixed to the screen to do their job of, you know, finding these risks. And uh, the visual observer literally was looking out like they're supposed to for everything that could be coming out of anywhere from, you know, air traffic to birds. And like, there's no shortage of seagulls and, you know, all the other birds that are over there. Back to that air traffic, you know, we, we were right by Floyd Bennett Field. If yeah. it was a confirmed incident, PD Aviation is going to be there in a heartbeat. Yes. And you, you think banner planes are going to fly low? <laughs> uh, no, they actually, they will land on the beach and they have done it. And I we were, they had a rescue on the beach and they landed the helicopter and they were about ready to start the helicopter up. And I said, all right, pack up all of our stuff and let's get out of here. Yeah. And like they, everybody was like, no, well, you know, I'm like pack up everything, seal everything into the case. And we got onto the gator and they started up and we were probably maybe 600 feet away from them. And we were getting hit with sand yeah. uh, from it. Just, you know, just the downforce of the propeller pushing the sand out. Where if we did had you know the drone out of the case and everything else, we would have had sand in the equipment, which is one of the downfalls of being at the beach. Although it is a really nice place to operate, sand goes everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, so you really have to be on top of securing the gear and making sure that everything is cleaned and checked at the end of the day. The motors are spinning freely. Make sure there's no sand in your gimbals. Make sure there's no sand that got kicked up into the case. No sand that pulls in between the battery terminals on, you know, your your regular batteries for flight, but also your remote control batteries if they're external, like, um, I don't know, what are they, WB27s or whatever, the the crystal sky batteries, like I, I like to call them, but the little batteries, sand can get caught in those. And we actually had somebody putting a remote out of service 
And the issue was that a grain of sand was preventing it from making the connection. The battery kept popping out and it was going to the secondary battery, the internal battery of the controller. And then once I just removed that little piece of sand, it just magically started working again. But that battery was inside of the remote, which is inside of, you know, a protective case, but it still managed to get sand in there somehow. So, yeah, yeah definitely. It's, it has its own uh unique issues associated with it that uh that you have to take into account and it's that post operation kind of breakdown and uh, getting ready for the next crew coming in that's really vital to making sure that the day-to-day operations go off smoothly like you said blowing everything out making sure there's no issues with anything and checking those terminals and yeah yeah definitely um definitely at the end of the day we spent i would say the better part of an hour and a half to two hours, making sure the equipment was squared away the, the next day. Yeah. Um, that meant going through everything with a fine tooth comb. The location that we were uh, stationed in, we didn't leave the batteries charging overnight, obviously, for obvious reasons. We don't do that. So we would actually charge up the batteries the next day for the pilots coming in. So they would be able to, you know, hit the ground running if need be, because there's been countless times where we arrive at work and we're sitting there, you know, just you know finish stirring our coffee and out the door we go so you know we wanted to make sure that they were ready for in case they even having a dedicated charging station remember when we first started out it was like oh we're going to throw the batteries on the back of the gator the chargers and everything else we'll start the generator up and we'll charge on the go we quickly realized that in the heat and everything else that that really wasn't a viable option no yeah it wasn't uh we definitely had to make some adjustments to that go back to to uh, to kind of swap out batteries. Um, We actually were putting them in the back of the Gator and we had a couple of, you know, we had some days that were just unbearably hot where it wouldn't work. But for the majority of the time, just keeping the the battery charges out of the sun did help, you know, an immense amount. But there was one day in there, it was like 102 degrees and the battery chargers didn't want to charge a thing. So we literally had to go find a spot to go charge all of the equipment up. And I mean, that's also wear and tear on the equipment too, because if you're taking a battery that's at more than 102 degrees and popping it into a drone, you know, you're going to definitely see the, you know, the capabilities of that battery diminish. I'm sure like those batteries definitely took a little bit of a punishment being operated in the heat for, you know, almost two months, right? Wasn't it the better part of two months? Yeah. 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 I heard your cricket, by the way. You just heard it? I did hear him. Um, uh, John, I think we might have to call this one over because. Is he quiet now? Quiet, yeah. Yeah. John, you got to talk. Nothing's nothing's worse than dead air on the podcast. Yeah, that is very true. But I want want to make sure that the audience would be able to hear your cricket problem. You know, you're going to keep me up all all night. (laughs) (laughs) So um, do you have anything to add to this or? Yeah, I'm going cricket hunting. All right. Sounds good. That concludes <laughs> this episode of Props Public Safety Podcast. I'm John Wakey. I'm Mike Wall. And you got to at least introduce the cricket. Should we name him? Uh, no? Can't really say what I, what I want to call him. Uh, all right. How about we'll just go with Jiminy? <laughs> it's, a, it's, a family, it's a family podcast. <laughs> it's a, it's a family, family friendly. And this concludes another episode of Pops Public Safety Podcast. Stay safe, fly safe, and we'll see you on the next one. Sounds good. Thanks for joining us at the Props Public Safety Podcast. 
If you want to take flight with our hosts and learn more about our public safety education program, go to propsflightschool.com and click the public safety button.